Money Talk is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex to be considered before becoming a client of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Securities are offered through HBEC Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Annex Wealth Management and HBEC are unaffiliated. This program may contain forward-looking statements which may not come true. Please consult with an advisor about your specific situation. Taking the mystery out of investing with answers to your financial questions. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald from Annex Wealth Management. On WTMJ. Know the difference? It's Team Tech Trust. This is Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. I'm Danny Clayton. It's Saturday, March 16th. Uh, Happy St. Patty's Day weekend, Mr. Oswald. Well, good morning to everybody. And uh, Derek Felsky, good morning to you. Good morning. And my uh, nearly uh, Irish friend, uh, Dave Spano, how are oh, you? Oh, Spano Hugh. <laughs> Spano Hugh today. Very nice. <laughs> hey, yes. let's talk about the week. What was what uh, what went on? It's obviously well, a nice finish, huh? Yeah, we had a nice finish yesterday afternoon, and both the S&P and the Dow ended up about a half to a percent just on yesterday. And, of course, for the week, Derek, we had solid turns not only uh, in large cap stocks, but really across the spectrum. Right. The S&P for the week was up 3%. The NASDAQ on some good earnings from the semiconductor sector, particularly Broadcom, was up 4%. Small caps up 2 And for the first time in quite a while, the overseas markets kept up with the all-world index XUS up 3% as well, Mark. What do you think is driving that, Derek? I mean, what should investors be looking at? Are we looking at the U.S.-China trade deal? Is it things that are going on in Europe, or is it just a continuation of the recovery from December? I think it's partially a continuation. You know, we talked about the very fast advance from Christmas Eve, up 20% from from those lows. Uh, but basically, I think what we're seeing is investors beginning to think that the uh, the economy's while it's in a soft patch in the first quarter, with the Atlanta Fed now looking for 0.5% growth in Q1, they're thinking potentially that a soft landing is possible. We saw overnight uh, that the one of the Chinese key leaders there talked about fiscal stimulus in, in areas like lower tax rate, reducing reserve requirements alike, because the Chinese economy clearly has been a drag on global growth recently. So you're talking about that stimulative policy, not only in China, but of course, uh, we were spending a lot of time to watch what happened with Brexit, which of course uh, was looking at a drop dead date at the end of this month, and now that can is going to get kicked down the road. And while all of this is happening around the world, our Fed, which was trying to raise rates, had to take a step right. backwards. And all of this together means the dollar continues to strengthen. Yeah, it's, it's been a very good, it's almost been a Goldilocks environment. The economy is growing at a fast enough clip to for corporations to do well, you know, engendered by those tax cuts that were legislated in last year. And while the earnings comparisons this year are going to be much more difficult than they were a year ago, companies are still growing, and there's, there's some optimism out there. You see it in business confidence. And one of the things one of our research partners talks a lot about is a CapEx recovery. Because remember, one of the things in the tax bill was that your ability to capitalize expenses right up front instead of waiting for five years. So that gives companies an incentive to expend on CapEx, which can boost productivity and ultimately fuel real GDP growth. You know, Mark, we talked uh, last week about Brexit. Uh, going back to that and the fact that that could have been a major market mover. And, of course, uh, that isn't happening. You know, we get the feeling that Brexit's kind of like Hotel California to EU. You can check out. But you can never leave. You got it. That's what right. Don Hanley said. That's right. So, you know, th- we'll see what actually happens over there, Derek. Uh, but in the meantime, we're keeping an eye on that. We're keeping an eye on China. And, of course, some developments around the world mean that you have to know what you own in your portfolio. You do. And, we, you know, we often talk about the strength of a balanced portfolio. 
portfolio. So when I, you know, when I look at our asset allocation, I look at the valuation of the S and P 500, and then I look at the valuation of, say, emerging market equities and international equities more broadly, and and they are at a significant discount. The U.S. market has dramatically outperformed uh, since the bottom in 2009, and I would certainly suggest to our listeners, particularly um, our non-clients, because we're doing that obviously for our clients, is to take a look at your relative allocation between U.S. and international equities. You know, you talked about what happened uh, 10 years ago. March 9th, of course, 2009 marks 10 years that the bull market started, Mark. And uh, obviously, we, you know, we were doing a show back then and we talked about what could happen. But since then, 400 percent. And so this is this is the bull market that no one loves. Well, it certainly is. And you think back, you know, 10 years ago, we were doing shows. It's a lot of shows ago, but and a lot of Saturday mornings ago. But a lot has happened since then. And at, at, on one hand, there's a lot that's happened. On the other hand, you know, you think about the markets just gradually recovering. So we had the big downturn in 2008, 2009. And we've talked many times on this show about the, the trajectory of the recovery has been muted. It continues to go back and check itself. And, and it's it's been different than those V-shaped types of recoveries where you bounce off the bottom and you come back up hot. So, you know, the the steady over and over and over growth of the market has been healthy. But you know, you think about this, this is the this is the Jake from State Farm Market, right? Yeah. Everyone remembers that commercial market where the guy the gal comes down and she's very cynical about yeah. the guy's actually talking to the insurance agent. Yeah. And and, and uh he says uh she sounds hideous. Yes, because she's, <laughs> she's right? a guy. Yeah. Right, but, you know, it's cynical. Everyone has looked at this cynically, and, and Derek, we're looking at this. We continue to look at this, and people are like, well, where do we go from here? And there's a lot to talk about when we come back, but one of the things is, where you know, where do we go from here? We, have, we had a great rally. We had the S&P coming up to 2,900, and that was a number that a lot of people had for a year-end target, and here we are in mid-March, Danny. Yep, 16th to be exact. It is 1017 to WTMJ Money Talk. You can get things going today. Make March a different kind of month for you. AnnexWealth.com is the website. Money tips that don't cost a thing. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Know the difference? Money Talk. It's Annex Wealth Management. It is Team Tech Trust. Website AnnexWealth.com. Get that free portfolio analysis. Also sign up for the Axiom, which is our weekly newsletter. If you were saying something about the importance of knowing what you own, and we, we talk about this all the time, but when I was just a regular investor, I'm supposed to know what I own. How granular do I go? Do I go into the mutual fund? Do I go into the ETFs? I mean, how deep am I getting? Well, certainly, I mean, when you look at a mutual fund or an ETF, first of all, is understanding what those products are, you know, passive investing versus active investing. And then once you understand what your exposure is, is it to the entire sector, is it to the entire index, where do you have somebody who is picking stocks or bonds, whatever the mutual fund might be, for you? But I think certainly, Derek, when you start thinking about your mutual fund, you start thinking about the top 10 holdings or the top 25 holdings. And most mutual funds don't expose themselves to more than 5% of their holdings in a particular stock. But it's important to know because when things happen to an individual stock, there's a lot of people who go, my mutual fund was down today, and they don't realize it's because they owned 
Tesla or they right. own some other stock in their mutual fund, and that's why that's happening. But, you know, Mark, you know, we've often talked about what there's a mishmash, and how did you get to the portfolio that you have? Right. And a lot of people have not had a plan to get there. They either were sold a product or they have different, three different relationships, and there hasn't been an asset allocation and a plan to get there. So when we say know what you own, what is in these mutual funds? How much are you paying for right. them? Do you have a variable annuity? What's the cost? On and on and on. That's what we're talking about, what you own. And we hear it every single day when people come in and say, will you take a look at our, my portfolio? And we go through it and we ask them a couple of questions and they, they don't have a thesis for e- it. Excellent point. And the point being is, is that when you start to think about your 401k and your, your spouse's 401k and you start thinking about that variable annuity and you start thinking about the IRAs and Roth IRAs, until somebody does a complete analysis, when you look at a household instead of an account, when salespeople look at things, they look at buckets of money because they're selling an account. When a fiduciary looks at something, they're looking at a household and they're saying, what does your allocation at the household level? And then you find out that you and your wife own the same mutual fund in your 401ks and that your exposure to financials or technology or whatever it is, is so much higher than you think it was in comparison to your overall household it, risk score. You know, what's funny is that right now that Mary and Ted are driving down the road and Mary's looking <laughs> over at Ted and saying, do you know what we own? And that's fixable? Well, of course. Sure. I mean, yeah, and you have but to. But that's complex. I mean, most people, I think, are hard pressed just to even get close to the sixty forty that they want, or the seventy thirty. Right, and and then of course, then of course, once you get past that and know what you own, we had somebody this past week, Derek, who's who's trying to time the market, and that's a very very difficult thing to do. Well, it is because you basically have to make two decisions, right? You have, you want to obviously sell at a good level, but you also want to buy back at some point at a good level, and and many people get stubborn that way. If the markets continue to move up, they sit on their hands, they sit in cash. Then after about a year of watching the S and P five hundred continue to move up, they panic and buy it right at the top and and go through that whole process again. But getting back to the, the, the mutual fund holdings and knowing what you own, I look at all sorts of things when I look at a mutual fund. I do lots of screens looking for new ideas and so on, and I want to find out what drove that mutual fund's performance. For example, in our portfolios, we have tactical bets around the, around the core, then we'll have active, active managers in the core part of the portfolio. If we already have, for example, a tactical weighting in technology, in other words, we're overweight technology in our portfolios, I don't add a whole lot of value putting another fund in there that's overweighted in technology. So I look at what the sector concentrations are, not just the individual names, but also how heavily is a mutual fund weighted in particular sectors, what the upside-downside capture ratio is, because there are some managers that do really well in an up market but get their butts kicked in a down market, and that's not something that, that I particularly want to expose our clients to. When you think about these screens that you're talking about, Derek, when you're thinking about all the tools that we employ at Annex Wealth Management with our investment committee and with just the investment team, when you start looking at the overlap, just the pure overlap of different investments that you own in different mutual funds, you you know, I think about a lot of people go into their 401k plan and they look at it and say, I'm going to pick this one, I'm going to pick that one, I'm going to pick the other one, without going through the analysis of finding out what they own within those mutual funds, within those separate accounts of their 401k plan. And I think that that can be a mistake for people because then when you get a December like we had in 2018 and there's a lot of volatility in the market, you're not really sure what your exposure was to the market to begin with. So doing that free portfolio review, Dave, is the piece that that really gets people started because we start with that x-ray and helping people solve this question of knowing what they own. And the peace of mind that comes with that is pretty tremendous. And that's exactly right, Mark, because when people come in and we do this on a daily basis, we give you a portfolio review and we give you a free 
framework for a financial plan. So these are two deliverables, things that you can leave with that you've gone through the process and now you've started down the road. And by the way, the one of the reasons why we do this is because you can see how we work. And so therefore you come in and you get a feel, you know, do you like the relationship manager you're talking to? You can see the team that is around you. All of this comes together and you get an opportunity to start down the road. And that's what's really important, Danny. Sure is, Dave. Thank you. Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, WTMJ, the website, AnnexWealth.com. From simple investments to stock advice, back to Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Know the difference at Annex Wealth Management. It's Team Tech Trust. This is a team segment with Colleen Henderson, a member of our 401k team. Welcome back, Colleen. Hi, welcome back to you too. <laughs> Annex works with companies to help craft great 401k programs, but we also offer programs for employee financial wellness, which is a great way to offer stronger benefits packages. So Colleen, we've heard about wellness programs. What's the difference with a financial wellness program? Well, there are certainly some similarities with a financial wellness program and a physical wellness program. Both physical wellness and financial wellness programs kind of focus on improving your health. With a physical program, you might focus on losing weight or adding regular exercise to your life. In the case of a financial wellness program, you can focus on things like reducing debt and on saving for retirement. The difference with a financial wellness program is that in many ways, being financially well also helps your physical wellness. Reduce stress and a focus on a state of financial well-being make a big difference, both for you and for your employer. Interesting, because a recent survey of 2,000 Americans asked if people could define key money terms like compound interest, credit score, 401ks, and only 37% could answer yes. So there's a real need for employee financial wellness. I agree. 37%. That's a very bad statistic. The lack of familiarity with financial terms is not uncommon. Few educational institutions offer personal financial planning programs. This becomes a problem for an employee when they begin working at a company which offers a 401k plan. For example, when faced with investment options, such as a target date fund, which are unfamiliar to them, they really don't know what to do. In addition, many workers struggle to balance competing financial priorities. Things like uh, student loan debt or credit card debt, or uh, they're concerned about paying for childcare or funding education. So this is a, a real key way of thinking about what are all the financial things I'm concerned about and how do I take charge of that in my life? Colleen, you work directly with companies to help structure these employee financial wellness programs. How does that work? So what we do is we engage with an employer. We start with a financial assessment of your financial picture, and you receive a Know Your Difference score. This establishes areas that you might be interested in working on and establishing a learning track for our program. Our program consists of two key items. One is online modules, which focus on a broad spectrum of topics. They include things like budgeting, credit, how to finance a home, what are 401k plans and how do they work. You can learn about stocks and bonds and retirement 101, many, many topics. We then follow up with workshops with employer and employees, most typically a lunch and learn program. We also offer a full yearly program, a financial wellness journey, if you will. 
Sounds good. Any success stories? We have a great one that just occurred in the last few months. So an employer implemented the program. Everyone was very excited about beginning this. We started with a six-week challenge session. Ten modules were required to be completed within that time period. The names of the employees who did complete those modules were included in a drawing for a great gift certificate at a wonderful local retailer. Very exciting for the employee, and a a lot of enthusiasm was generated in the process. We followed up with a lunch and learn session, which was also well-received. So now, if you think about a financial wellness journey, you don't become physically well overnight, nor do you become financially well overnight. It's really a journey, and and we are now following up with them with an annual checkup on meeting financial goals and an ongoing challenge session this year, which includes a financial boot camp with savings targets and spending reduction plans and teams competing with each other to be the most successful. Well, Annex does a lot, including strengthening companies' benefits programs. We can do the same for you. Colleen Henderson, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Get professional help with your portfolio. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Know the difference? It's Team Tech Trust. This is Money Talk, Saturday, March 16th. AnnexWealth.com is our website. Remember, our branches just about everywhere, Elm Grove, Mequon, Lake Country, Appleton, downtown, and then Annex everywhere. If you can hear WTMJ, uh, we can deal with you. So you can start it at AnnexWealth.com. It's time for Ask Annex, and you can submit those questions at AskAnnex at uh, AnnexWealth.com. Our first one comes from Phil right out of the news. Uh, Phil says, what are the upsides versus downsides for Boeing? Yeah, let's talk about Boeing. Obviously, uh, most people have heard that there has been two crashes from a particular Boeing plane, the 737 MAX, and they were both outside of the United States, but it certainly caused a lot of consternation. In fact, uh, many places, including here in the United States, have grounded those airplanes until they determine the cause. But uh, what we're hearing from analysts right now is it was this thing in the nose that actually caused the plane to push the nose down because it thought it was going to stall. Well, the pilots didn't know how to turn that off and push the airplane downwards instead of allowing it to level off. So that's kind of a bad case of artificial intelligence yeah. taking over, right. isn't it? Yeah. Right, and so you, there should be in a, a situation in a software fix, which we read yesterday, that might only be 10 days out. So there's only 73 of them in the United States flying right now. So we'll have to look at really what happens. But there are certainly, you look at the stock uh, Derek, and it has gone from $440 a share uh, at the beginning of the month down to around 370 And so that wiped out about $30 billion of market capitalization. So we obviously there's going to be some repercussions from what has happened here, but is it going to be $30 billion worth? We'll have to see. Well, well there are a couple of things here with Boeing. First of all, it was up about 30% on the year when, prior to this news announcement. Right, start, it was below think, 300 to start the year. Yeah, right. I think it was 290, yep. 292 on, on Christmas Eve. So it had obviously soared, no pun intended. Uh, but but it, on top of that, the thing about Boeing is they've got a $600 billion backlog, Mark. And when you've got a $600 billion backlog, your ability to make earnings estimates is, is pretty high. So the stock trades at a high multiple, but it does so because its earnings are reasonably predictable. But news like this obviously can upset the apple cart and, and, and cause you know investors, particularly momentum-oriented investors, to just you know shoot first and ask questions later. Also a very high cash company that uh, you know when you start thinking about industrials, 
probably the most cash of any company in the world when you start thinking about just of industrial companies. And they didn't stop making these airplanes. So, I mean, at some point in time, the line continued. They're making the modification, obviously. And part of it's a training issue as well. And so those planes ultimately will come into, into play. And we're certainly not recommending it, but it's trading at around 20 times a PE, paying a little bit over 2% dividend. And as you said, there's a backlog. Next question on Ask Annex is from Hal. With a move to 5G, what are the opportunities? Chip makers? If so, which ones? And we should say real quick that 5G really is going to be a whole lot more than a better cell phone system. Yeah. In fact, so you and I did a piece this week. And why don't you explain to everybody what we're seeing out of 5G? Well, 5G, they believe, is going to be the ultimate game changer as far as, I mean, you would be able to have a conversation with somebody in China and they would be able to do real-time translation. The ability for uh, doctors to have actual and this is just beyond the doctor on call type of things, but actual interactions. I mean, it's going to be enormous. There's just this race right now between the United States and China. This is why this Huawei thing gets in the way of who is going to have the standard. And and, and we're looking at it, and there there could be some 5G markets in both Minneapolis and Chicago. Milwaukee was not on that list. But the question, Derek, was is there chip makers that look like opportunities because of this? Well, the the big cajon in the room there is, is Qualcomm. The thing about Qualcomm, though, is they have some issues. They've got a patent dispute with Apple. Uh, they do have a lot of exposure into the Chinese markets. Roughly 60% of their revenues come come from China. So Qualcomm is the one that I would say people can look at in terms of a large cap opportunity. It's a cheap stock. It does pay a dividend. Uh, but it's, it's basically been trading sideways with, with no real catalyst up until we get some resolution on the Apple front. And we and, saw the chip makers. Uh, they ripped uh, yesterday. Yeah, another, another couple of companies are kind of interesting is American Tower. Um, you know, they obviously make cell phone towers. They obviously will benefit from this. I don't know to what degree you have to re-outfit them in order to, to handle the, the, the quicker speeds. Another company that appears to be ahead in this race is Verizon, which is a, you know, a utility company that also pays a yield like about 4%. Uh, it's reasonably priced. It's a lot more expensive than AT&T, but clearly the operating characteristics at Verizon are superior. Let's ask Annex on Money Talk. Annex Health Management. Start at AnnexWealth.com. That's where you can submit your question. Also, hit that Get started button, get that free portfolio analysis. Time is money. Make the most of yours with Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Know the difference? It's Team Tech Trust. This is a team segment. Annex is made up of in-house subject matter experts, investments, planning, taxes, estates, and a whole lot more. We have two teams represented here. Dan Phillips is wealth manager, CFP, CDFA, and potential mixed martial artist. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Danny. Randy Winkler, a manager, financial planning, and a CFP and a home brewer now. Welcome back. Thanks, Danny. How's the beer? It was awful. We're going to talk about getting the number right when it comes to spending in retirement. What's the right way to determine that number, and how can overspending and underspending be prevented? Dan, when does that number usually emerge in the process for our clients? When people first come in, no matter where they are relative to retirement, they kind of want to see if they're on track. So if it's really before retirement, we have to do some assumptions based on what they're currently spending. But really, it's the closer they get to retirement. So it's within that spitting distance, you know, when they've got that date in mind. So it could be two years out, one year out, or it could just be pending. What we like to do is take that number that they're currently spending back into that number and then separate it out between the expenditures that they have to have have their living expenses and what they think they want to do extra in retirement. If you understand that your have-tos are met, you're okay. 
Randy, you're our self-proclaimed spreadsheet geek. Does the number jump out at you? Well, what we very often see somebody who comes in for the first time that we haven't worked with, they really have no idea what they're spending, but they think they do. Very common, we'll see where somebody's take-home pay is uh, at, for a family is, say, 250000 and they think they're spending fifty. So we say, are you saving two hundred? No, no, it's all gone. So we have to work with them to determine what that number is, because it's probably the most important number of the entire financial plan. It's kind of the fuel. If you don't have enough fuel to get where you want to go, you're going to run out of gas. Deanne, have you seen the number being a surprise for most? Oh, definitely. It is a surprise. You know, sometimes for some people, that B word budgeting is kind of a dirty word. And we get people that say, I have never thought about a budget in my life. Remember, when we go into retirement, we're doing a seismic psychological change from putting money away from ourselves to tapping into that money and spending it. And that can be daunting for some people. So people tend to have a couple of different reactions. And Randy, what I see sometimes is people getting scared to tap into that at all. You know, they think, no, I, I, I can't spend any of that. And so they find themselves really scrimping and saving and really not enjoying the beginning of their retirement or the reverse. They feel like, woohoo, I've got this cash flow now. And it surprises them how much they end up spending during that honeymoon period of retirement. We see both all the time. The first one, it's like when you're a really good saver, the muscle for spending atrophies. You can't do it. We right. have some clients that we have to say, Spend some money, you know, you know, there's a saying, you'll never see a U-Haul getting pulled behind a hearse. You're not going to win the prize for dying with the most assets. Now, if you have legacy goals, we work with that. But for a lot of people, it's like, hey, you can spend money. You've dedicated your whole life to this process. You've built up a nice nest egg. Let's enjoy it. So, Randy, with our plans, do we usually recommend a yearly or a monthly spend number? Oh, that's a great question, Danny. We like to see yearly because it smooths out some of the bumps. You know, a lot of people are shocked that when December rolls around and they have Christmas expenses because it's a, it's a different expense than you have during the rest of the year. You know, you got your vacation in summer. You might have insurance premiums that come up. So it's good to take a look at a monthly basis, but you want to annualize that to uh, take into account the things that only happen once a year. Deanne, we talked about people tending to spend a little bit past reasonable expectations. How often do you see that? At the beginning, during that what we call honeymoon period, right at the beginning of retirement, we see it a lot. People underassume their spending for eating, drinking, and being merry. You know, all of a sudden, you're not working anymore, and you have time to spend with, if you're part of a couple, your significant other, or with friends, with family. And we tend to do that through dining out, going out, entertaining, and that costs money. So people often will come back and say, wow, I had no idea I was spending that much on entertainment. Now, that is discretionary expenditure. So that's kind of a muscle you can flex and, and you know, pull back on a little bit too. When you're doing the go-go part of retirement though, mm -hmm. I mean, people tend to, they want to go-go and sometimes they cost money. Well, they do and that's okay. So Danny, right, what you're referring to are the go-go years, the first kind of decade almost really in retirement and then the slow-go years, right, that transition as we age and then the no-go years. But really in terms of spending, we don't lighten up on the spending as we age because if we think about it, healthcare expenditures could be a little bit more during that time period. Randy, you started to touch on it, but is it possible to underspend in retirement? Oh, definitely. Definitely. A lot of people have been saving their whole lives and they don't know how to spend and they don't know what's a safe number. So for someone who's just looking at the portfolio, you've got a million dollars, you have $10 million. How much of that can you spend? It's kind of an unknown unless you have a financial plan. With a financial plan and with all of the other tools we have, we can say, okay, you can spend X amount of dollars per year, and it's going to be sustainable long term. And then we can take a look at that, which side of it are they on? If we say, hey, 75000 is a sustainable spending number for you and you're spending 100 
you're probably looking at a pay cut. If you're spending 50, you just got a raise. No, I remember sitting with people saying, Mrs. Smith, you're a millionaire. You know, it's it just can't sink into some people because in certain generations there's this fear of being a burden. You know, there's this fear of running out of money. And so that is larger sometimes and looms larger than getting our arms around the little spends, which is why it's an important exercise to look at a spreadsheet, to kind of sit down with a planner, to separate out those expenditures, make sure that your have to bucket is filled so that you know your day to day expenditures are retirement are taken care of no matter what the market does. They're not tied to the stock market going crazy, right? And so then you can carve out those extra discretionary expenditures and we as planners can encourage a little bit more spending. A lot of people when they're in their working years, they know exactly what's coming in. They've got their paycheck and that's what they're spending. When you get to retirement, they're taking money out of their portfolio. It's not as easy to say, hey, I get X amount of dollars. You're making a decision on what you take and it's affected by taxes. When you start Social Security, do you have to pay for Medicare? There's a whole bunch of other things that factor in there, but we can come to you and tell you this is the number that works for you. It's very challenging to do, but with the tools we have, we do that every day. Seems the moral of the story is get a plan, get that number, and stick to that number and work with a strong financial planning partner who is a fiduciary and whose only goal is to help you succeed. That's what we do here. Deanne, thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. Randy, back to your spreadsheets. Happy to get back to them. Don't settle for less. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. This is Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. Know the difference. It is Team Tech Trust. Here we sit on Saturday, March 16th. I'm Danny Clayton. Mark Oswald is here. Derek Felsky, our Chief Investment Officer, and Dave Spano, President of Annex Wealth Management. What'd you bring? A little checklist? Well, I did bring a checklist because uh, we have the unique opportunity to have 150 meetings across the state of Wisconsin and meet some really great people. I'm always reminded about that there is a difference between financial advisors is exactly the reason why we have the Know the Difference checklist that is out there. But just a couple of days ago, Mark, I ran into a situation where someone said, you know, we have a team and we, ha- and, and we, uh, we act in someone's best interest and so on, but none of those could check the list. Not one of the, ch- the on our checklist could they check it well, because they weren't acting in the best interest, even though they they say they are, they certainly weren't acting as a fiduciary. There's a lot of things people say that they don't end up doing, and, and it's why we always say, you know, if someone's going to say they're going to be a fiduciary, ask them to put it in writing. But going back to this checklist, it's something we developed over the last few years because we know that there is a, there is some misunderstanding in the investment community. Part of it's been this DOL rule that we've talked about a lot and who's a fiduciary and who's not a fiduciary. So we went through the process of putting together a checklist. And if you want a copy of that, whether you're working with us or you're working with somebody else or you're just thinking about maybe making a decision about partnering with somebody towards your financial future, you just give us a call and we'll be happy to get that checklist out to you. And all it is is a challenge. It's a but challenge. it's also up on the website as well. Right? It is. Right. You can go to AnnexWealth.com and get that. And of, of course, you know, when you start thinking about putting that checklist into play, all we're doing is challenging you to understand the difference between what a fiduciary does and 90% of the other, rest of the business. You think about fiduciaries being about 10% of the marketplace and people who will claim to ask in your, act in your best interest as being the other 90%. Those are the suitability standard people, the salespeople that out there that are selling proprietary product, oftentimes under some pseudonym, that they're not using the company name, but they're using some other name for their mutual fund complex, know the ownership of the mutual fund and the, and the mutual fund structure. They're also out there calling themselves a fiduciary in some cases, but not willing to put that standard in writing. And then we saw uh, in this the same example, the guy said, well, I have this deep team of people 
and it was him and his assistant. And that was what he was holding out. It was his deep team. But if he needed a CPA, if he needed a state planning attorney or a banker, he knew who to call. Well, that's not the way we work here. It's not. And and part of that is, and we've seen this, Dave, over the 30 years that you and I have both been in the business, is you get a financial advisor out there, and then you get an attorney and you get a CPA. And when the consumer, the investor, is left to get these conflicting advice at some point in time, the advisor tells you one thing, the CPA tells you something else, and the estate planning attorney is telling you a third thing, oftentimes people don't do anything because they, they just don't know who to trust. So putting all those people on the same team, in the same room, to have one conversation, one concerted effort towards a financial plan, putting all those professionals on a team and putting them in place really benefits fits the conversation of moving the ball forward. You know, we talk about uh, on the checklist of national recognition. And we just got some news this week, right, Mark? Well, it's one of the differences, too. And when you, when, when you look at our checklist, one of the things that we look at is recognition of third parties. Is It's one thing for us to come on the radio or for a competitor to come on the radio and say, hey, we're the greatest thing ever. But it's different when you're getting third parties like Barron's or Financial Times publication to include you on the list of the best in the country. When we're included in those lists, that's validation. That's validation of what we're doing is a little bit different than what others are doing. You know, your reputation is your reputation, whether it's a good reputation, which we enjoy, or or a bad reputation. I mean, there's opportunities to go out and look at the company that you're working with. Look at their form ADV. Look at their form BD. You can get information at at sec.gov or finra.org and find out about the company that you're thinking about working with or that you're working with. So the the company that I was talking about earlier, I don't want to name their name, but we went to the finra.org site and there was pages and pages of hundreds. Uh, issues, hundreds of Hundreds issues. of pages, and it'll tell you about the people that work there. The company we were looking at, they employ felons. And, you know, when you think about that, that, is that who you want handling your money? And then you think about the customer disputes that have been out there, the regulatory actions that have been taken. When the SEC has to come in and step on you because you're not treating your customers fairly, you should know about that before you put your money with that company because your past actions are likely to lead to your future actions. Advice and opinions expressed during Money Talk are solely that of the hosts or guests of Annex Wealth Management and not WTMJ Radio or Good Karma Brands Milwaukee, LLC.